The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. So as we began just last week walking through the Gospels, uh, Gospel of Matthew, it's fitting that we turn our attention to verses 18 through 25 this morning, and I, I want to bring before you what, what I will say is the calling of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, through the, uh, behold, the, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife, and he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. What is the calling of Christmas? What is it that the the story of Christmas is is driving us to do, compelling us to believe, to act upon? What is it that that God is speaking to us even to drive us to in in, in moving upon Matthew to record this record of Jesus' birth as he has recorded it for us this morning? What is the calling of Christmas? Is it, is it merely to be happy and merry and joyful, listen to giddy music this time of the year? Is it to, you know, take off time for work and make time for family? That's a good thing. Have some family gatherings with family, with friends. Is the calling of Christmas just meant to give us a sort of warm, fluffy feeling on the inside as we think about snow and think about lights and, and the beauty of, of the Christmas decorations? Is Christmas calling us merely to give gifts to one another and to look forward to receiving gifts also, as many of us did this morning in the exchanging of gifts? Is that what Christmas is ultimately calling us to? Or is the calling of Christmas something much, much deeper, uh, something much more profound, something much more eternal? And Matthew tells us here it is much deeper, much more profound, much more eternal than decorations and family time and gifts. But the story of Christmas is actually calling us to come to Him who came for us. To word it to you as a, an admon, ad, ad, admonishment, and a, a word of application this morning. Come to Him who came for you. That the story of Christmas is a story of God coming down 
into this broken life, God coming down into this broken creation in order that we as sinful humanity might have a way to Him. There's no way you and I could ever have bridged the gap between us and holy God because of our sin, because of our fallenness, and the the glory of Christmas, and the mystery of Christmas, and the, the miracle of Christmas is that God came down, that God came to us. And there's a call as we consider His coming down, There's a call that goes out to all of us, just as it did to the wise men and to the shepherds, that that we are to come before Christ. That we are to fall down before Him in awe and in amazement at who He is and at what He has come to accomplish on our behalf. That we are to see Him as the King of kings and the, the Lord of lords, as wonderful Counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're to believe upon Him as Savior and to believe upon Him as Redeemer. That is what Christmas calls us to do. What I want us to see this morning in the brief time that we'll share together is, is sort of introduce you to Christ through the names that He's given in this passage. Two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. Two names that call us to bow before Him and worship even this Christmas day. The the first reveals to us who He is and His nature and His being, Emmanuel. The, The second calls us to see what He came to accomplish for us, what He did. Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins. So let's consider first His name, Emmanuel. Verses 22 through 23, the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph and his concern about his wife that he has not known, having a child in her womb. It says in verse 22, Matthew now picking up, giving commentary to all that's going on. He says, so all this was done this child being conceived of the Virgin Mary, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, this is the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. For those of you that know your Bibles very well, uh, you know this is a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And you that know your Bible very, very well, know the context surrounding the uh, origin of the prophecy that Isaiah gave. King Ahaz is king of of Judah, the south. Remember, in this time frame in Israel's history, they're broken up into two nations, the south named Judah, the north maintaining that name Israel. The king who is the king over Judah is named Ahaz. He's a wicked king. He is not following the ways of the Lord. Israel had long departed from the ways of the Lord many, many generations prior. And so maintaining his kingdom and his own strength, Ahaz becomes very afraid, very fearful, because Israel joins in an alliance with Syria, and they create a force that would be that, that it, Judah would not be able to withstand if they were to come and attack. 
And so out of fear, the king of the south, the king of Judah, decides, I'm going to make an alliance with Assyria. And he's reaching out to the king of Assyria to make a a treaty, to make an alliance with this king, which is an ungodly thing. It's against uh, God's word that he gave to them. It's against a trust and a faith in God. It is totally uh, disregarding the promises that God gave, even to Judah, especially to David. And so God intervenes, and God tells Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, you're not to do this. And I'm going to give you a sign even, a sign that will vindicate my covenant promises to you, and and especially that of the promise made to David, that there will be a descendant of David who will rule eternally. And Ahaz disregards God. Ahaz even denies and rejects the sign that God's going to give, says he does not want it, he does not want God's help. Isaiah then writes in Isaiah 7.14 this strange prophecy, that behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, call his name Emmanuel. There's a lot of debate how that prophecy applied in that day and age in its original context. Perhaps it referred to one of the sons of Isaiah. Perhaps there was some unknown woman who gave birth to a child. It's not given in the, the text the immediate fulfillment, but there was some sort of near fulfillment of that prophecy. But ultimately, it, it pointed to something greater, as many prophecies in the Old Testament do. It pointed to something not only near, but something far, something that would would come to a much greater, a much much, uh, more grander uh, fulfillment in in, in God's sovereign purposes and plans. And Matthew, reading that, is moved of the Holy Spirit to see this is actually a prophecy that was referring to Jesus, to the Christ, to the Messiah, that a virgin would conceive and would give birth to Emmanuel, and not merely one who bears the name God with us, but the mystery even of the incarnation coming into fulfillment here. God God literally taking on human flesh. God becoming man. There, there's a great mystery in it. How could God become man? How could Jesus as a, a baby be both God fully and man fully? And Matthew's point in the way that he tells this story is to reiterate the fact that The incarnation of the second person of the Godhead is true. That the virgin birth is true. He goes through great lengths to tell us that this child was not born of Joseph. Look back over your scripture here. It says Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So betrothal was something a little foreign to us. It was like an engagement in our day and age. They had not yet consummated the marriage. They had not yet moved in with one another. But legally, they had entered into a covenant of marriage. So it was a lot more legally binding upon a couple than engagement is in our day and age. And so legally, in the eyes of the law, they were married, and yet the marriage had not been fully consummated yet. Joseph had not known Mary. Before they came together, he he emphasizes that fact. The betrothal period, before they came together, she was found with child. Joseph, of course, has great question over what's going on here is Mary is found with child. This woman to whom he is betrothed, this woman to whom he is engaged, only a a legally binding engagement, recognized even as marriage in the law of the day. And the scriptures tell us, found with child, not of another man, but of the Holy Spirit. This was a a miracle that God performed in the womb of of Mary to bring forth the incarnation of the second person of the, the Trinity, of Jesus. 
And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph was a gracious man. Joseph didn't want to make a public example of her. If she had, if she had, trying to think how to word this with younger kids, if she had known another man, then she under the law would be under great judgment. And she, even within the society, would be a great shame. Uh, under great shame. And so Joseph being a, 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 a righteous person, a gracious man, it says he sought to put her away secretly in private, not make a public example out of her. And as he was contemplating these things, thinking about it, it's then that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, already his wife, already betrothed. For that which is conceived of her, he says it again, is of the Holy Spirit. You go all the way down and you go even to the very end in verses 24 and 25. Joseph being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took them as wife. And he did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Again, Matthew over and over again, this child is not of Joseph. This child is not of human origin. This child is actually divine. This child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. This child is a, a miracle. God incarnate. You ask, is the virgin birth important to our doctrine? Absolutely. We cannot disregard the virgin birth of the Messiah, of the Christ, that is the means by which God incarnate became human, took on human flesh. There are many today who profess to preach Christ, yet they deny the virgin birth. And to do so is a clear denial of the teaching of God's Word. We must disregard the, the inspiration and authority of God's Word to hold such a view. And also to do so is to deny the deity of Christ. Jesus said in John 6.38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And Jesus believed Himself to be God incarnate. He didn't say, I was created in Mary's womb. I was conceived there as the first of my coming into being. No, Jesus said, I came from heaven to do the will of the Father. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, listen to this description of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things... Con and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness... All the fullness of God should dwell. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Do not lose the mystery of the Incarnation. The mystery captured so well in that song, Mary, did you know? As you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Think of the mystery in that. That is, Mary picked that small child up from that manger and held him in her arms. 
kissed his little cheek. She was kissing the face of God. God Almighty. God came down. God entered our suffering. God came down that we might come to Him. Emmanuel, God with us. Secondly, lastly, that second name, Jesus. Jesus. The name that not that doesn't tell us who He is, but tells us what He came to accomplish. Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation. The angel in verse 21 told Joseph, Mary will bring forth a son and you're to call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And then in verse 25, he didn't know her until she brought forth her firstborn son. And Joseph, in obedience to God's command, he called his name Jesus. Emmanuel, a title that revealed to us the nature of this child. Jesus, that personal name that he's given that expresses his life, that that reveals to us why he even came. Why did God become incarnate? Because he's Jesus, the Old Testament name Joshua, Yeshua. It means the Lord is salvation. That salvation is of God and of God alone. And what does he save us from? The angel says, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is not a mystical word that we speak over our dreams and our situations to claim blessings and victories. It's not what the name Jesus is all about. It's far greater than that. It's far more sobering even than that. It's a, it's a sobering word that, that calls us to remember our depravity. It calls us to remember our inability to save ourselves. It calls us to remember our need for a Savior and our need for salvation. It calls us to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that you and I can't save ourselves. You can't overcome your greatest problem, which is that of sin. You've sinned. You're a sinner. You're condemned before a holy God. All the religions of the world try to overcome it. Maybe if I go to the place of worship devotedly, maybe if I change this and change that and do this and do that, even some that go to great lengths and self-mutilation and abuse of self even to to somehow pay for their sins in order to atone their, their, their sins before a holy God. And the Scriptures tell us none of that will suffice the wrath of a holy God. He's holy. He's perfectly just and perfectly righteous. You are sinful. You can't save yourself. If the story ended there, it's doom, gloom, and misery because we're all doomed eternally to hell because there's nothing you and I could do. The beauty of the Gospel, the beauty of Christmas is God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God came down in order that we might come to Him. God entered our suffering. God entered a world of brokenness. Jesus bore not only the sin at Calvary, but leading up to that, the the life lived in a, a world of sorrow and hurt and pain. And then at the ending of his life, he intentionally climbed a hill called Calvary, there to be crucified, there to be 
the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, there to shed His blood in order that you and I might have the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. God made a way through Christ, a way that we could not make for ourselves. Jesus is His name, Savior, because He shall take away the sins of His people. John the Baptist said of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus said of himself, I have come to give my life a ransom for many. He said on another occasion, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Paul wrote and said, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul wrote, In 1 Corinthians, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Apostle John wrote that He Himself, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the whole world. And Peter, give one more testimony to it, wrote, For Christ suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. Why? He might bring us to God. See, there is no other way. There is no other path to take to overcome your problem of sin. There's no way that you can atone for your sin. But God made a way. God sent Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, who came given the name Jesus because He would live a life in our place to die a death paying the penalty that we deserve. Or He could rightfully proclaim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by Me. God came to us so that we may come to Him. I want to close with what I would say are some of the most precious words of Christ and an invitation He gives that I think just puts beautifully the calling of Christmas this morning and not only on this day, Christmas Day, but every day. These words recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28-30. through 30. It says, Come to Me. That's the call of Christmas this morning. Come to Me. Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call of Christmas is to come to him who came. Come to Emmanuel, God with us. Come to Jesus, the Lord is salvation. Come to Him who saves you from your sin. Find in Jesus forgiveness and joy and hope and love that lasts beyond even the grave. Come to Christ and find rest for your soul. Heavenly Father, we turn to You with hearts filled with gratitude, hearts filled with worship and praise on this Christmas morning. Lord, there are so many around us who have shut their eyes and are blinded to the glory of Christ 
to the glory of His coming, of His life, of His death, burial, and resurrection. They do not see the light that is shining so brightly. Lord, by Your grace, many in this place know it. Lord, we've seen it and we rejoice in it and we cling to it and we even come afresh and anew this morning to fall down before Christ and thank You for Him. Thank You for His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, the salvation that is ours, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we have a great cause to worship You this morning. Lord, maybe someone came in here having never seen before, but right now their eyes are beginning to open a bit. And for the first time, they are coming to understand all that Christ is and all that He accomplished. Lord, I pray, open their eyes to see more fully. May they be captivated by Your love given through Jesus and His birth, Lord, but most especially at His death. His burial, His resurrection. I I pray, Lord, work and save any who are here that do not know You. May they, now even during this invitation, come to Him who came for them. Lord, come to Christ. Fall down. Confess Him as Lord and as Savior. I pray this for Jesus' name's sake.